Hey, Stu, your rent's due, motherfucker. Hey, Aries, you heard about that new uh, podcast app called Anchor? I sure did, Andy. Guess what? It's time to pay some bills. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. And they have tons of creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And we know you know about that money, Jew boy. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go download your Anchor app now for free, or you can go to anchor.fm to get started today. Can you feel it, baby? That money? Yeah. And don't be pulling that falling down the stairs shit on me, you hear? Another episode. Figaro. Part two. I, I of Comedy Store Part Four. Yeah. Comedy Store. Well, yeah. part f- for their part four. We're, we're well, reviewing yeah, their part four. We might be late, but this is part four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hits 101. What's happening, baby? Uh, all the new listeners, welcome, 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 welcome. As always, if you are a new listener, please enjoy this episode. But do not cheat yourself. Treat yourself. Start from episode one and go in order so you could track the birth of this motherfucker, the adolescence, the teenage years, and the manhood years. We grow before your ears. And, and how do you access those issues? You go to your favorite podcast platform. And if you don't have one, grab one. Apple's the easiest. Mm-hmm. And then you uh, type in Spears and Steimer. I know that's right. And you click subscribe. Mm-hmm. And then you'll get all of our podcasts. Child. Get it now. They're not going to be free forever. And if you was black, we would have been diamond and silk right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure is, honey lamb. Uh, <laughs> I don't do a good black girl. Uh, I bet you you could if you nah, tried. No, I, I, I always wanted to get that. That neck shit? Yeah, I, can't, I, don't, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you just got to look like you're working your way to suck it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let me stop. Um... What they what they seem to highlight on this episode of the Comedy Store podcast, I mean, of Comedy Store uh, episode, because they, they said the word podcast, and it felt like Joe Rogan was the highlight. Um, one of the things Joe had mentioned, because uh, he talked about loving Roseanne Barr, um, and he described them as wild and reckless, uh, and said, you know, now if you're wild and reckless, stuff gets taken away from you. But he's, uh, yeah, stuff gets taken away from you because of, of this moisture age of comedy we live in. Um, and then towards the end, he said, he, he, he said he feels like somebody told him comedy is starting to feel dangerous again. And listen, man, I'm holding on to wild and reckless. I got all my chips as I'm sitting at the table and I'm waiting on that right moment to 
push all my chips to the center of the table like rounders and slap my cards down because I got wild and reckless as the winning hand. Um, listen, I, I really believe I've, I've believed this, which is why I'm standing my ground and I'm not wavering. Uh, what movie was that? Oh, Outbreak, Dustin Hoffman, when they had to stand off with the helicopter because they was going to bomb the town. But him and Cuba didn't want them to bomb the town. So he stood in their flight path. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. So that's I'm not moving, man. <laughs> Sometimes I go a long way to make a point. Um, comedy is greatest when it's wild and reckless. It's greatest when there's a, a, a hint of danger and spiciness to it. You know, and people like Roseanne made that happen. Kennison made that happen. Dice made that happen. I feel like all the great ones, and I'm not saying that because you didn't do that, you weren't great. But there's something memorable about when you eat some shit with some hot sauce on it and you spend five hours in the bathroom having a butt loose competition. <laughs> that would have been a perfect place for one of your shit isms. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting, though, because you, you brought up uh, several people and having it, it's dangerous, comedy's dangerous. Well, Roseanne, as great as she was, everybody loves her, she got, she got canceled by this. She got canceled because of the time we're in, we're in cancellation times. Right. Um, but let me ask you, back in the days when it was wild and reckless, if she said the same thing then that she said now, no, still canceled? No, we, there's none of this is happening until social media. When 100 people can feel like 100,000. Right. That's, that's really, you know, and, and in a way, and this is where this, is where this is, gets really tricky. In a way, it's great that a minority of people can have an effect over the discussion. An effect to the point where things are taking away no, from No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's, it's, it's if this could be, if we can harness the superhero for good, uh, it's amazing that a minority group of people can have an effect over the whole conversation. Now, the problem is no one wants to have conversation. They just want to live in an echo chamber and have their opinion echoed back. Instead of living in a place where there's discussion, because without discussion and without uh, without a difference of opinion, there is no growth. We will we will work our way into a corner and we'll stay there. But we have to be able to have discussion. We you know what I love about when Chappelle did his special um, and he's talking about no matter what it is that you feel, comedians, and he called out to comedians because it's, it's the comedian's job to keep social relevance, to keep, our, to keep our words from going away. And he said, no matter what you are, how you feel on stage, to say it. What you are, who you are, represent, say that. It doesn't make a difference if it's uh, what it's pro or con against. Uh, he didn't say it that way. I'm obviously paraphrasing. But he said it, it's not if you, if, if you have a racist thought, say the racist thought. Be who you are on stage. I'm not saying that we should bring have a whole racist night. I'm just saying if you have. <laughs> that, would be, that would be funny, though. You know what? It, it would be exceptionally irritating. But, but you couldn't get through it because everybody would scream in the crowd and cry the way things are today. Right. So... Um, 
but he said you got to be true to this because this is there's more. I, I the thing that I love about Dave is there's there's more to comedy with him than just the jokes. There's everything that goes behind it, the meaning of the joke, what's behind it, who you are, what you can be, um, and this is what. And he really put it to that it's our job to keep uh, the conversation going as a comedian. That we're not just we're not just up there just to tell some knock knock jokes. That we have a responsibility. But I also feel like, especially with Dave, because of what he can say behind the jokes is what makes it so masterful and accepting. Um, To be able to articulate your personal feelings and thoughts along with a great punchline, that's a very hard thing to do. You either got one or the other. Some dudes are great with the words, but the punchlines ain't that strong. Some dudes got great punchlines, but there's no real words behind it. Um... But what Dave has is the ability to go on stage for as long as he goes on stage and to right. say what he wants to say until he finds it. He, Dave, I don't think Dave always feels that he's successful on stage. He knows that some of those bits aren't, aren't going where they want him to go. And he yeah, works but them. even his fucking mistakes are better than most motherfuckers' <laughs> May, perf, perfect jokes. Maybe so. But he, you, you have to work the craft. You have, to be un, you have to be unwavering from the fact that what you want to say, there's a way to say it. And if you think I'm lying or ass-kissing... Go to YouTube and type in Dave Chappelle comedy sh- comic strip where he's at the comic strip. In New- Is it the comic strip or Dangerfields where he's in New York and he's performing for six hours. And I mean, at times it's pure Dave just sitting on a stool talking it out. But even his talking it out, you're going, damn, nigga, word, you thought of that? It's fucking brilliant. Richard Pryor's up in smoke. Is, is, that that the one, is that the, the one, one with the, is the improv? And yeah, the, the, just the brick wall. Now, here's the difference, though. Dave was funny. Dave. <laughs> Richard, you're going, God damn. But there's a lot of genius in that. It just hasn't, it hasn't been polished. It wasn't polished yet. Going back to the comedy store, I think it was the first episode. They said Richard was on stage one night and he was doing so poorly. He just said to the crowd, I ain't funny tonight. Like, like, like. There have been moments when I've been on stage and I know I'm not funny, but I would never say that because I don't want you to know that, even though it's obvious. The, the bravery that that takes is just, it's, it's, it's fucking amazing. But not to veer off the point, um, yeah, I really hope comedy is making a dangerous comeback or a comeback in the way of danger because um, I just think that that's just so more interesting to talk about. Comedy- Did you hear what he said? Can you believe he said it? Well, comedy will be that. It will always be that. It always will have the potential to be that. That without it, the repercussions. But it depends on, you got to have the comics that are willing to, to bust down. You know, to, to, you, know, you got to work outside the box. You got to be able to willing to break those doors down. You can't, you can't be afraid. I think that there are comics who have been afraid, who have veered away from it, and who are waiting till the coast is clear to say, now I can go back to it. I don't think that's real comedy. You don't. No, I don't. I really don't. I mean, I'm really being honest. Where I and I and I'm not disrespecting any comedians. I don't know who you are intending when you say that. But if you're waiting for your moment to say this great line, but you feel it could get you in trouble, you're you're not being authentic. You're not being an honest comic. If you're saving it till it's till it's easy, then that's not comedy. Comedy, real comedy, comes when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it can change an opinion or change a mind. Your Honor, let the record reflect that my client, Gary Spears, has been standing his ground 
since the very beginning. Um, Joey Diaz, I love it when they cut to Joey Diaz and he's doing some joke in the OR about being called a spick. And he goes, somebody called me a spick. Do you know how good I felt? Yeah. I felt like I, that, that was a real American. And it was great. And you could see the audience clap and respond to it because it's almost like we're waiting for the audience to catch up. And I think a lot of them are already there and want to be there. But again, they're scared too. But they want it as bad as we want to give it. You know, but no, and I disagree a little bit on that. They're judgmental. And coming from Joey, it was okay because Joey, Joe, I, I, I can almost hear the, the, the liberal brain going, well, this he, I wish I could do he, Joey. But, but he's actually, he's Cuban, so he can say it because he has that Latin background. You back think that's what it is? Dude, they, that's how they think about it. It's like, you can say it, but you can't say it. Because coming from him, it's authentic. Coming from you, it's racist. Right. It, 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 they're, they're, they're not seeing the funny that's there because they feel that you, you have to represent what you're talking about or it's racist. Replace Bill Burr and his monologue. No, don't replace his monologue. Replace Bill Burr with Joey Diaz on SNL. You don't think the room is just as uncomfortable? No, I, I think they're more uncomfortable because uh, Joey Diaz, uh, Bill was trying to make it a point and I think you can see it in Bill's I think that if you said if he said some of that shit the way Burr said it, it would be like, oh, he he hates women, uh, right? Uh, but but that's coming from the that that's Joey's voice that is that way. Um, I, I mean, it, it's so hard because it's so personal because the true the the true experience of getting to see comedy and getting to see a comedian that represents himself that's when you see Burr Burr that whole that whole uh, SNL. Uh, that was all Burr. That was Burr's feeling. He feels that. He wasn't writing jokes for, to make people laugh. He wrote a joke that made, was funny to him about this, with the society we were in. When Joey talks about, when you just said that joke where he said he called me a spick, I was like, oh, finally, a real American. Right. You know, he, that was his take uh, on, on uh, not only America, but like, okay, like, we're going to get back to what's real instead of hiding it. These are real takes. This is, when, this is when comedy to me is genius. And when it is dangerous like this, it's even better. Because when something authentic comes out like that, you feel it and you know it. Even if you're not a, even if you're not a, a comedy fan, that has to be sensed in some way. That's why I don't think, as, as much as they wanted Bill Burr to be in trouble for that the next day, and they wrote articles after it, it didn't go anywhere. Because I think there was, it, it was the authentic, uh, 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 authenticity. authenticity of what he had to say, of his opinion in a way that he said it without trying to be demeaning, I don't think there was a place for them to go other than to be mad about it for the, the 24-hour news cycle, and it went away. Who, Real quick, uh, just, yo, she's a badass chick. I would give my left nut to have sex with her. Give me a girl who you think is like that, famous. I, I don't have I, I, like I only go back to I don't have those kind of like I don't feel that way. It goes back to like when I was young. I would, it would be Michelle Pfeiffer. There was a time Michelle there. Pfeiffer says to you, Andy, Andy, you could have all this pussy if you just say the word authenticity. Go. <laughs> authenticity. <laughs> I knew you wanted it. <laughs> um, but, but, but it's so it's so weird that my my my. I, do you keep do you update your crush like that? 
No, no. Some of my best crushes are from back in the day. Right. So it, yeah. it does, they don't represent today. They like they represent your youthful exuberance for a female. Your dick hits you in the stomach and said, "All right, nigga, get it together." <laughs> oh, that's, I'll say it with me. <laughs> Um, right though, they, we, yes. we, don't, we don't update. We keep we like, no. But listen, uh, mental file pussy stays mental file pussy forever. So Sophia Ren in the Sophia Ren days is still doable. Ooh, that file might have got lost somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love when Joey said, uh, and I wonder, is Joey from New York? No, Joey was originally from Cuba, grew up in the Bronx, I think. Well. Okay, but he grew up in the Bronx, yeah. so you could tell the Bronx influence. When he said, my daughter is six and has done dick with her life. life. And he goes, do you know how much shit I did when I was six? And, it may, and I love that because, again, you've heard me say this. Growing up in New York as a kid, that gave you stripes. And let's, let me not just relegate it to New York. The 80s, the 90s, the 70s, no cell phones, no Twitter, no social. And that's what he was alluding to because of the phone and the Twitter and all the social media handles and computers. Kids don't do shit. And that's why I feel like with comedy performing in front of today's generation, the jokes get lost in translation because they haven't earned the stripes. And when you're a kid and you fucking go outside to play and you can make a whole game in your head with a bottle cap and a stick and you can go in the woods knowing you can come out alive and you can fucking do shit that we used to do, it builds character. Um, I know that we're living in a different world. This goes to what you're saying right now. Than I grew up in because I realized that I never had to take my kids to the hospital. Never think that. My kids never had to go to the hospital. Like they didn't come home. Oh, right, right, right. They right, went right, outside right, right, and came right. in with bleeding or broken. Right. Oh. They just, you know, we 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 broke. We right. we had to go to the hospital. We 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 wrecked on our bikes. Right. We do. I remember my my mom freaked out because she saw me at, at my neighbor's house, and we had set up like Evil Knievel was a big deal. Right. So we had uh, we didn't even have BMX bikes back then. We just had right. bikes that we we just did things to them so that they could be a little bit more sturdy and we set up ramps and we were jumping over like yes. eight garbage can stand garbage. Yes. No ju- now you can't leave the house without a helmet. We, hel- we didn't have helmets. helmets. <laughs> so, but my, my kids, I never, I mean, I took Max to the doctor because he thought he had testicular torsion, but other than that, uh, but that's not an injury. That wasn't a sports injury. that wasn't coming home. Uh, but see it, it too. What's funny was when you said that because growing up in New York, I think growing up in New York, you become a different person when you, as when you grow you, up. You're a child that becomes a man instantaneously. But I just think it's funny because I didn't have the New York experience as a youth. I got when I when I went out. I lived by the Air Force Base, and it was separated by the neighborhoods. To, it was the neighborhood, the desert, and then the Air Force Base. Mm. And so you know we would go out in the desert, and there's crazy stories. There was like a dead cow that we watched. We'd go out and look at it every day as it decomposed. Uh, there was you know just and there was weird people in the desert. And your your parents just say stay on the desert or you know make sure you avoid you know people don't talk to people in the desert. But you know, we, as kids we would go out, and the, the rule was you come home before the light, the, the street lights come on. And so then I would come home. But in New York, I don't you can't avoid the crazy. Right. Well, yeah, you avoid it by staying glued to your phone in the house. 
Well, that's how they do it now. But when you were a kid growing up there, you were, if you went outside, you were in the crazy. Now, and not only were you in the crazy, you knew how to fight it. Right. Like I said, at one time, uh, this building across the street from where I used to live in New York, 433 West 34th Street, apartment 12B, me and my sister would play on these steps. And the car came up. The dude was trying to lure my sister into the car. I, from where I was standing on the steps, I could see the point of view. Dude had his dick in his hands. That's straight up. But he, was, he was trying to get my sister to get in the car. And I was seven. Just the way you said it so casually. Oh, yeah. It's New York, baby. Yeah, motherfucker said, hey, how you doing? I'm digging it in. And I yelled, motherfucker, the fuck out of here. And he drove off. Now, obviously, no one should have to have that as an experience. I'm just saying you were tested. I know you're old enough to remember this. Remember uh, when your jeans had the hole in the knee? Yeah. And your mother used to... Cut the, patch. The, the patch, the yeah. square patch. Yeah. And the iron de- it and iron, iron it. it. And the denim patch never was the same color no. as the jean. You know how you got your holes in your jeans? You ran and you fell. Yeah. You scraped your knee and you tore your jean yeah. open. Kids don't run no more. Well, that's why they come. Their knees are perfect. Yeah, but that's how why the jeans come with holes in them now. <laughs> it's fucking babies. <laughs> so that's why? Because they, they're not going to do it, they're not going to earn those holes. But before you know what I'm going to say, I never asked you to do this because I never like making you do. But it's going to be so fun if you, if you will do this for yes. the people listening. Would you do the thing about the, the dick in the hand, but give the address and then the whole dick in the hand? But can you can you do it as Denzel just for a second? Because it's oh, going to be, dude. It's it, like <clears throat> I heard you doing it. I goes that was Denzel doing it. All right, me and my sister would would we would be on the steps. All right, I'd be on the top step and I'd be looking down at her on the bottom step, and this car drove up. And I remember, I remember I see this guy, 433 West 34th Street, across the street. All right, and he had his dick in his hands. He was trying to lure my sister into the car. <laughs> Dude, I, let me just say, <laughs> and, I, and I actually have this in my notes. Uh, let me just say, uh, first of all, big shout out to uh, IMC King. Uh, and for those of you who've seen enough interviews with me, I always pump this dude. And uh, I say because of him, I have retired my Denzel. I only did it because you asked me, but I feel silly doing Denzel now because of I am C. King. Um, And I actually had this in my notes uh, in regards to that. Um, You know, a lot of people ask me or or some people have said, you know, when they come to my show, dude, you didn't do no impressions. And, um, you know, I do Stallone. Uh, You Mick, are you doing Mick? Mick! and I do state them every now and then. I'm trying to get around to doing Tony Soprano. And I say, one, I don't do the impressions as much because I did everybody I could do on my first special, Hollywood Look, I'm Smiling. And I don't want to, you know, do the same motherfuckers again. If I'm going to do somebody, I, I want to do some new people. Um, so I'm trying to stock up on some new people. But the other thing is this. And this is where Aries is having now moments of pure humility. Um, when I look at guys like Jay Farrow, Guys like Atheon Crockett, some of the impressions that Godfrey does, my man C. King, I just don't feel like I'm good at them anymore, or I'm as good as those dudes. So I, I'm, I'm like, Ugh. unless I got somebody new that excites me, um, which, you know, of course, to James Gandolfini, because one, it's a black dude doing a white dude, and two, it's James Gandolfini. So unless I have somebody new, I, I'm, I'm just like, I, every day I, I look on Instagram and I see Atheon and uh, uh, Jay and, and, and C. King and, 
And these motherfuckers, see, King does Chappelle. Fuck does Chappelle. Fucking Jay Farrell does Kevin Hart. And I just go, these motherfuckers got me, man. You, you won't do it unless it entertains you. Like, you won't do it as, you, you don't want to do an impression as a crutch. Right. Unless it entertains you, you're not going to do it. But did you see uh, Godfrey's, uh, the, the video with him doing um, Steve Harvey? Harvey? Oh, that's fucking class A shit, man. It's class A shit. But, and the music, when he puts the family feud music, oh, Jesus. But how would you like to be uh, Saturday Night Live, the Saturday Night Live guy, uh, Tom Thompson, uh, Keenan Thompson? Yeah, who's done? Yeah, who's done? Oh. It, it, like for the years, he's he, he's done it, and then all of a sudden, Godfrey just comes up and obliterates it. That's what I'm saying about the Denzel. Even though, in my defense, my Denzel, I don't think is as bad as Keenan's. Steve Harvey. I'm at least in the neighborhood. But C. King has made me retire. Dude, does C. King get the eye and the whole thing? The, the mouth, the fucking, I mean, and listen, if you took the mouth away, which anybody could do the mouth, it's just looking like you had a stroke. All right, everything that we talk about, huh? You know, I'm doing the mouth on camera. Um, but it's the, it's the, it's the voice. It's Everything you could live when people go, yo, if you close your eyes, you could. There are some dudes that try and do impressions, and I swear to God, I love him to death. Eddie Griffin, all the respect. But when he does Bill Cosby, and, and I did this on Big Boy at Power, and to this day, Big Boy plays it on a reel. He, he cried laughing. I go, all Eddie Griffin's impressions sound like Eddie Griffin. I'm Bill Cosby, <laughs> I'm Jesse Johnson. Like they all have that Eddie tone. Fucking C. King, I mean, all right, Ari Schwage. The What he does, that's like, you know, now, you know, uh, I saw his face the other day when I wanted to take him shopping, but he wanted to go to the mall. Uncle June, this is a cash business. You know, so it's, when you lose yourself, and C. King loses himself, and Denzel. By the way, uh, Aries just said he was making uh, the face uh, on, the on camera, on the mouth on camera. And we do, uh, we do have, we just put this up recently, uh, a YouTube page right. that has um, what you're listening to uh, completely raw and uncut. We don't do any edits to it. It's just the way that we're talking in the room. Anything that's messed up is going to be on it. We, don't, we just throw it out there for anybody who wants to see who we are. So if you want to check it out, Spearsberg Pod on YouTube. Uh, and you can check out this raw and cut shit. Just to see new why Aries was uh, looking at the camera, and you're wondering, there's no camera on this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you know, we we stepped up to video now. Yeah, that's where you can get it at, though. But we never, we haven't, we haven't officially moved over to video. We're, we're testing it out. So if you want to see the raw and cut shit, you can go check it out there. And and and, I, and again, I proudly do this. Like I'm a proud dad uh, pumping up his son. Because um, you know, again, for all of, all of my bouts of vanity. And, 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 and cockiness, which I, you know, I know I can be, uh, I give the credit where the credit is due. Look them up on Instagram. I am underscore C-K-I-N-G. I am underscore C-K-I-N-G. I am C-King. That nigga's Denzel. Poof. Rest in peace, Ari Spears. Um, you know, they talked about on, on the, on the um, Comedy Store podcast, the 90s being the era of darkness when the comedy store yeah the late 90s early 2000s yeah lost some of its shine 
Now, you'd never been to the comedy store in the 90s, right? Yeah, I did. I was oh, there. you did go? That's when, I, I, but I, I don't think I was there. I was there as it was getting dark. I was there like towards the, before Eddie Griffin popped off. Right. That was the beginning of the 90s. It's ironic that you said getting dark when the shooting was on Monday night, which was nigga night. Yeah, what did they call it back then? What's it called? Uh, fuck. What it's was Chocolate it? Sundays. At- Chocolate Sundays was the Laugh Factory. Mo Better Mondays. Mondays was the improv. I forgot what they called the comedy store. Um, you guys always have to have a... Well, we don't do that. Yeah, but, uh, the white folks do that. The white folks do that. The white owners do that shit. So, to, to, to let motherfuckers know it's black night. Is, is that to let black people know it's black night, or is that to let white people know it's black night? Both. <laughs> Both. Both. <laughs> like... Come get it. Dinner's ready. Ding, ding, ding. Child's here. Come and get it. Nigga's here. Ding, ding. Um, I forgot about it till Eddie mentioned the shooting. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. You know, sometimes we are our own blessing and curse at the same time. Because here's the thing. When the comedy store was dark during the 90s, guess what was the most successful, profitable night? No. Nigga night. Oh, like all, all, all three clubs? All th- no, 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 no. Each, first of all, each club had its own night. Monday didn't become Mo' Better Mondays till way after they stopped doing Black Night at the Comedy Store. So it was Chocolate Sundays on Sunday, Mo' Better Mondays on Monday at the Improv, and the Comedy Store didn't even do Black Night no more. Once there's a shooting, nigga night's over forever. So, but at that time in the 90s, all three, and when he, Eddie said it, he wasn't exaggerating. All three rooms were packed. The hallway yeah. was packed. The OR was sold out. The belly room was sold out. The main room was sold out. And when you walked through the halls, it was like walking through a club. I mean, it was, that's why I'm saying when black people go hard, we go all the way. Chris Rock, grand opening, grand closing. When we shoot, we go all the way. Nigga, we shoot the slebs in the pictures. It, it just, it was, it was it was a fun time because half the time you some and what, here's the problem a lot of times people went to go see comedy but everybody sometimes went to go be seen niggas wanted to put on their shit they wanted to go get seen all the dudes knew some of the baddest bitches in L A would be there they was trying to get some pussy it was it would some of the chicks knew celebrity comics was gonna be there celebrity. Uh, uh, celebrities was going to be there to watch the celebrity comics so they was trying to get some dudes come up on the come up it was it was a zoo it was a fucking zoo it was fun but it was a zoo but you you were you've always been a, a laugh factory guy right no no I, I was I was I was comedy store I didn't become a laugh factory guy until the last four or five years that's when you really. That's when I was because you don't perform that much in California. Exactly. Okay. So when I and, and I had stayed away from the store for so long that it just I just never went back. And then I started going to the Laugh Factory, and that became my spot. But you went to the store not too long ago. Yeah, I did. But and and anytime I've gone to the store, it's because someone was doing a show, either like a Matt Reif or a, a Skylar Stone, and they said, "Yo, I'm doing a room." I got a night in the, the in the main room uh, on this particular night. Yo, let me put you on the bill and come perform. And I go, okay. And I would do it. I, I'm not there in the traditional sense anymore where I could pick up the phone, call who I'm supposed to call and go, give me spots. And they give me spots. Have you gone up in the, the uh, OR room at all in the last year, two years? 
Maybe once or twice. Maybe once or twice. And 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 I will say, both those times, uh, I bumped somebody. <laughs> Two to the booth. I was like, hey, man. And, and here's how I start out. I, I don't ever go, I'm Aerie Spears. I need to go. I'd simply go, hey, man, uh, how you doing? Uh, I used to perform here. Matter of fact, my picture's right there. My name's on the wall. And then they go, oh, Aerie Spears. Yeah, how you doing, man? Hey, can I, you think it's possible I could, you know what? We'll squeeze you in between so-and-so and so-and-so. But I don't understand. That's not, I know that's considered a bump, but that's not like, a bump to me, a bump that I'd be upset about is if someone went in and there's one spot left on the show and that's your spot and the guy comes in and goes, I need the spot. And then you're right. not doing a show that night. That's a bump to me. You're well, still- well but, but think about this. What about the person who I'm, going ahead of who may go or may be like, damn, I, I gotta, I gotta go somewhere. Yeah. And now I'm fucked up cause of this. Yeah. That can happen. Yeah. But yeah, that can happen. No, I just, I, but I just don't see any, there's to delay someone 12 minutes. I don't see as that, but I guess I, you know, I, I don't work that story. If you had three people come in now, you're now you're back 36 minutes. Right. And now you might not get on if you're doing right. And, and, and look, I remember one Monday night. I'll never forget it. This is how thuggish Monday night was. Uh, Tupac was in the audience. And, you know, him and Mike Tyson's close. And the comic got on stage and was about to do Tyson jokes. And this nigga Tupac stood up and was yelling at the top of his lungs. Yo, don't fuck with my nigga Mike Tyson. You heard me? Don't fuck with my nigga. Move the fuck with, Don't fuck with my nigga. And the comic didn't do the joke. So, and you know, Pac standing up is one thing, but then when Pac and them 18 goons with him stand up, you rethink your shit. This was, uh, this was at the store? Monday night, when shit was wild. That's funny. And that's what I'm saying, like, Mike Tyson could be there, Tupac could be there, uh, whoever could be there. It, it, was, it was literally like going to All-Star Weekend or a, fe- or a fight in Vegas. It, it was a party. It was a fucking party. Niggas go hard, man. And I know when we were in Indianapolis, we talked about this, about when we were talking about my son and being gay. When we go, nigga, we go. We get the shit shut down. Bullets for everybody, nigga. Bullets for everyone, nigga. We go hard. A hundred niggas in the crowd, a hundred bullets. Um, okay, now we're going to get to the meat. Uh and they had, and I, and and you know what's funny? Because again, I knew they were talking about Joe Rogan. I knew this was going to come up. But before I get to that, let me just say this, dude. I, I was thinking about this, and it fucked my head up. Like I was on Instagram and I was perusing through the pictures, and it said episode one thousand something something of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast guest Matthew McConaughey, and I'm going. From episode one of the Joe Rogan podcast with, I think Tom Segura said, it was just him and Joe in his apartment on the couch to where it is now. What was the turning point in terms of episodes where people with, I mean, people's publicists and managers and agents said, you got to do the Joe Rogan podcast. It's as, it's as important as the Tonight Show. It's it, it's it's got twenty something whatever million views. It whatever you're promoting, you're gonna have twenty million eyes and ears on you. Sandra Bullock, fucking Mike Tyson, Kevin Hart, 
some of the biggest names in politics and science. Got to do the Joe Rogan podcast. When did it turn? I, I'm going to, I'm the, the, po- the store podcast, not podcast, the store uh, documentary that they're doing right now. I don't think it gives enough credit to this. And I'm going to tell you where this turns. What I feel is turns. Uh, and, and they're kind of giving credit to it, but they, they really gave it to Joe. Like Joe was the, the this happened because of Marin. Mm. Because Marin is the one who Obama went on the show. And I don't mean to cut you off because I'm going to ask you this question, which is in my notes. Same thing I'm saying about Joe. Marin started out in his garage. Garage. How, Actually, that's not where he started, but go on. I'll, 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 how I'll, the fuck does a guy who no one knows in his garage get Obama? Okay, here's how it happened. And I, and, and I can give you this. Uh, and I got the background on, on, on Mark on this one. Uh, Mark had a show um, on um, what, what's the, uh, the military, like uh, the military. Sh- ah, it's a TV show? No, no, no. It's, it's a radio show that uh, goes all over the world. Anyway, he had this show that was picked up. It's a nas- and he, they, 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 they basically just shit-canned the show. So, uh, so he's in the studio. Marin has nothing. His career isn't going anywhere. His, uh, you know, he's done on this radio program. This is, what he was, this is the last thing he had that he was doing. And uh, he heard about podcasts and knew a little bit about podcasts. Now, there's a lot of people doing podcasts before Marin at this point that have podcasts. But what happened was is that Marin uh, started using that studio to make his podcast for a little while. That's where it started. And then it moved to his garage. And um, he, um, he, he didn't have anything. He had nothing, but he had comics. He knew all the comics. He'd been doing comedy now 20-something years. He knew all the comics. I mean, he knew everybody. He had relationships uh, with most comics. Some liked him, some didn't like him, but they all had an experience with him. So he just started calling comics, and he started doing um, these interviews. And he was a good interviewer, and he was at the point where he had nothing, and he was going basically to therapy in these podcasts. So he's talking to these guys, but trying to figure out what's wrong with his life and his career, why it didn't go anywhere why he is in the garage. And from that, these real interviews started taking on a life of their own, and more and more people came on it, and more and more people started listening to this because it was so authentic, and it was so heartfelt. So more and more people are listening to this comedy podcast, and uh, he wasn't, you know, he was, he was pretty much comics. Now he's branched down to music, art, everything. But it's going along, and his podcast has so much momentum that when Obama wanted to speak to the people, he cho- that's who he chose to do, to do it with, was to do Marin's podcast. And through a lot of research, this is what happened. And that is the moment, honestly, that I think podcasting really took a major... Because of Mar- Mark. Yeah, a major turn, because people saw what effect podcasts could have that even a president would want to use that platform. And then... Joe was doing something completely different. Joe was, well, he wasn't doing something. He was doing a podcast. He was talking about everything. And Joe's, uh, uh, what made Joe authentic is that he was really doing a podcast to learn about things and to get more information. And he also had that whole MMA diehard fan base that he brought over into this with, with, and also with weed and Joe being a big weed, with, you know, weed guy about how the benefits of weed he brought over so many different genres. Everybody, he, he had something for everybody. 
And that's how uh, Joe's podcast, I don't know without Marin that Joe, I mean, I think Joe's podcast would have, would have been big, but I think Marin really brought the masses to, the, to see what podcasting was. That, so much so that Obama was on the podcast. That had to be a big, that had to be that, a big that, deal. That's insane. Because I don't know anyone else, that would, had to be the biggest get for a, a podcaster in podcasting at that point. And that's what made such a big noise. That's so much noise. So even though they're talking to Marin a lot on this Comedy Store podcast, I, I haven't heard them credit him. But I, I think he, he was one of the biggest at the time on podcast. Listen, um, again, I, you know, I know Joe will never have me on, and that's fine. But if I could ask him a question, I would just love to know, because that's what's fascinating to me. Is because from episode one in your house or in your apartment, with you and Tom Segura, and then you upload it. Okay, you're growing, you're growing, you're growing. But from episode one to 75, I don't think you're getting Matthew McConaughey. I don't think you're getting Mike Tyson. I don't think you're getting some of the big names you're getting. But I know at some point, by episode 1,000, something is happening where your numbers are so big. Like I said, any publicist or manager or agent would go, yeah, Kimmel, yeah, Tonight Show, yeah, Leno, Conan, but yo, you gotta do this. It's good for your career. It's good for the push of your project. What, 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 what when did it get to that point? I don't know, but it shows the love that people had for uh, comedy to be able to, to, to do this. I mean, think about it. You're, you're in the living room. And, and what, what, do you, what do you think those guys got? Maybe 50 listeners their very first podcast? Probably. And, 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 and to watch it grow from 50 to 100, 100 right. to 1,000, 1,000 to 10,000. I mean, this is a big deal. Right. Uh, but that's how they all started back then. There wasn't, there wasn't, and it's the Wild West. You could do anything on, you wanted on a podcast. You, didn't, you, you weren't worried about sponsors because you were doing this in your uh, living room. This was just for the fans. This is between me and the fans. And you could do anything you wanted to. It was the Wild West. Like I like when Rogan goes, um, when he was talking about all the other pe- people, comics and stuff doing podcasts. And look, we know that again, when the market becomes oversaturated and there's too many fish in the lake, not everybody's going to eat the way he eats. But the idea that he goes, look, man, this is a feast. He used the word feast. Everybody can eat. Now, I don't know if that's true, but I get what he's saying. If, if, if you somehow can put this formula together the right way and make it click. Now, granted, not everybody going get a hundred million dollars but if you're making jesus let's say you made ten thousand a month ten thousand dollars a month doing this that's huge let alone the fact that you can make so much more the thing the thing also with the podcasting that that works not only just the podcasting but what i think joe's also talking about is you can eat uh when he says feast but there's people that have been canceled Owen Benjamin lives off Patreon. He's doing his Patreon. Right. He can't get a sponsor. He's living off, off Patreon. People who support him, people who think he's funny, people who like his views. I mean, you know, as, we, as we get into the comedy, it's dangerous, but there's a release valve in comedy. But you have to be willing, like you said, put all your chips in the table. And if you lose and you have fans and you have an opinion and you, you stand by it, 
It's a place for you to continue to eat. I think one of the most remarkable things, and they mention this, is once upon a time ago, you absolutely needed the networks. You needed the movie studios. You needed it. And let's be honest, even though you might not or you can create a way for you to go, fuck you, you still want to do that because there's something about being on the big screen. There's something about having your own TV show. The cachet of that validates you. Not to mention you can get filthy fucking rich real quick. But the idea that you can go, I can still potentially be filthy fucking rich. I can potentially still get that kind of exposure without you. I don't have to have hat in hand and beg you. Well, And I get to keep creative control. I got say. It's so much so that all the people that were the gatekeepers, that were bad people, let's, let's call them bad people, just to be fair to the people who had to call them out, uh, they, weren't worry, they don't have to worry about their career the same way. They can call out these people. That's why we have, people, we have these people tumbling now who used to run things because it, they're not needed. People can have a career without those people. That's how Harvey Weinstein can go to jail. This is, this is, it, it, the business is going to get fairer because of this. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to feast, as Rogan said, right. but it's going to be fair. Fairer. Right. <clears throat> if you have something to offer and you have a crowd, you can, you can survive in this business. Uh, my man, uh, Nas, one of my favorite lyrics from him is, uh, let me show you how easy it is to make a meal. All you need is a skill. Now it's grind time. Yeah. Um, okay, here we go. Carlos Mencia versus Amy Schumer. And this is why I got to say this, which is what bothered me about. And the whole time I'm watching this Comedy Store documentary, I'm sitting here saying to myself, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? But then I'm also going, they ain't going to do it. They ain't going to do it. Now, I knew they were going to do the thing about Carlos versus Mencia. You have to address the elephant in the room. Carlos versus Rogan. Car- oh, uh, what did I say? Carlos versus Mencia, oh, which, yeah. which is also true. Yeah, Ned versus Carlos. <laughs> uh, yeah, Rogan versus uh, Ned. But I went like this. I know they're not going to bring up Amy Schumer. She's not a comedy store girl anyway. It doesn't matter. But it is part of what, what the, the documentary is Here's about. my thing. If you're going to put on the comedian cape and be the superhero... For everything that is comedy in terms of purity and righteousness, then the goose is good enough for the gander. And I had a problem. And I remember when it, I, I looked at the feed and I, and I read a lot of people who said I lost respect for Joe because of that. Joe is a hypocrite. Because now, listen, let's be honest. Carlos did what he did. And here's the thing, dude. I know Carlos. Deep down, he's a nice fucking guy. He's a fucking sweet dude, man. He is a nice guy. And he's very he's he's emotionally torn up about this as well. I don't know that he is. Yeah, I think he is. Uh, but, but here's my thing. You did it, man. You did this to yourself. And I and the whole time I'm watching this, I'm going this is a bad look for Carlos. Because if you had a chance of a resurgence, this is killing you now. Yeah. Like if you if you were going to go, all right, 
like everything else in time, shit dies down. When it dies down, shit gets forgotten. And I'm not saying Carlos can't go out on the road and make a living, because he can. He can, and he does still make a good living. I don't, well, I don't know how much he makes in terms of good, but I'm just saying in terms of a, of a resurgence to a certain level of prominence and, and, and respect within your comedic peers, and maybe he don't give a fuck about respect from, for comedic peers. I always thought that was slightly overrated. Do you want it? Yes. But them niggas ain't paying your bills, so fuck it. But I'm still just going... Dude, this is almost a reminder for people that 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 you did this, and I think it's a bad look. And the fact that he even admitted it on certain interviews, I'm just going, dog, you're a nice guy. What are you doing? What are you doing? I think he's he's having a hard time processing the whole thing himself. I think he, uh, I. Like, first of all, he still sells out places. Not every place. But he still sells out places. He might, and he might not be doing the, the theaters and the big places he was doing. A lot work. of motherfuckers ain't. Dane Cook ain't doing theaters. I, don't, I mean, arenas. He does theaters now. Okay. But Carlos is still, he can still make money. So that's, that's not the issue. Uh, talking about the money, I mean, obviously it's not the same as it was before, but, uh, but your legacy. Right. You don't want your legacy to be completely ruined. And I, and I, and I think that, I think he was trying to come out of work. I think, the, like when you talk about those interviews, where he kind of where he says, "Yeah, but you know, I, if I but I'm doing it better." When, I think he was I think he was trying to figure out how to come out of this, and he almost wanted to be like the uh, the gunslinger in the, in 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 the black vest and the black hat, you know, come out and be like you know like double down, double down on come out and be like the bad guy of comedy, and think that maybe that that was going to get him through it. Like, yeah, I did it, but. You know, I even heard one. If, if you watch the comedy store, the comedy store doc, there, there's one per. They're yelling, and uh, Joe's on stage, and they're yelling at each other. And this girl, and he says something about it himself. better. He makes it better. That's, I mean, you know, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for those people that are going to come out. But and, again, we know in comedy, as I read that quote from Chris Rock, every comic is a pastor, and we all have our loyal congregation, right? So that's always going to be the case. But that's what you lean on when, you, when, the, when the whole group is against you. Now you got to lean on just your audience and who loves you. Listen, man. <clears throat> I, I, I've talked to him about this. Right. And, and he, the things he says, like, and this was several years ago, so I don't know how he feels today. But I mean, see, he's, you know, there's a lot of denial in his head about it. Because he'll say, like, I, I think if it was today, Joe would admit that, you know, he went too far and he shouldn't. Well, no, he, well I don't uh, think so. Well, that obviously, <clears throat> he just came out on the special. Joe, does, Joe doesn't think he went too far. Joe thinks that he went as far as And, that's, far and that's part of my problem with Joe. Why didn't you go after Amy Schumer with that same energy? He answered it. No, he didn't. He said parallel thinking. No. Which was bullshit. And he also said that it's not his job to go after everybody. Oh, how convenient. No, it's not convenient. He went, there was a moment on that stage that happened that also got him banned from the store. He, he went through it already. He stood up for what he had to stand up for. It's other people have to call out other do you, people Do now. you realize that he literally, like, and again, I know Carlos did it to himself. But he took out his career. But he destroyed that man's career. And, 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 I, and I'm going to tell you from where I stand, when you look at... You know, Amy Schumer, who for a second was super hot coming off a train wreck. And you say parallel thinking. Now, Carlos verbatim, the Ari Shafir joke, pretty much verbatim. The joke that Bill Cosby did about the father 
raising his son up from yeah. Little League. With, is it Little Go League in baseball, basketball, football? football? No, it's not. Pee Wee. Pee Wee. From Pee Wee to the pros. And he looks at the camera and goes, hi, hi Mom. When the credit. That's verbatim Cosby. Yeah, it's, yeah he, but, he updated it, but okay. it's, it's, the punchline is. Whether it was Kathleen Madigan, Tammy Pescatelli, Kevin Nealon, Dave Chappelle, uh, Patrice O'Neill, uh, uh, and two other women I can't remember whose names I can't remember. I would even think Mitch Fattel. Damn near verbatim. Okay, but you said that and, you and put you're that telling on... me that's parallel thinking. No, I don't think it's parallel thinking. She shouldn't have been attacked the same way Carlos was. But not not by Joe. It wasn't Joe's responsibility. Why why does he have to come in every time someone steals a joke? Where's the rest? Then of the he com- shouldn't have came in in the first place. Where's the rest of the comedy community? Then he shouldn't have came no, in in the first no. place. Where's the rest of the comedy community? Is the, where's the- here's here's where the rest of the comedy community is. You ready? They don't want to bite a hand that could potentially feed them. All of you white people stick together. That's funny. <laughs> All of you white people have always stuck together. When the little nigga Mexican did it, it was stealing. When the white girl did it, it was parallel thinking. All of you stick together. That's like Katrina. Niggas stole televisions, and the news said niggas steal TVs. White people took televisions, and it was white people found TVs. You motherfuckers are great. You stand together. If niggas stood together like white folks stood together, we'd be tighter than an embryo's pussy. If Amy Schumer can put you in a movie, give you a guest spot like she did with Dave Attell in Trainwreck, and put you in the film, okay. you don't want to blow that opportunity. But, so, you be, so you shut up. But obviously, uh, Rogan felt that he was able... Like he said he couldn't believe it either, that she, she's going to take Carlos, the guy who steals, over, over him and, and ban him. Remember? In the, in, yeah. In, okay. So he obviously felt that he, he, like, Ari couldn't say anything because he was, he didn't want, Ari didn't want to get banned. He wanted to keep his times at the store. No one else was going to say anything. Joe obviously Ari was on stage with him. Yeah, but he couldn't go after Carlos on his own is what I'm saying. Went after Kobe Bryant's dead memory. That is something that if you follow, and it's (laughs) ill-advised, but if you follow Ari, he did that to every single dead celebrity. Okay, all right. Well, if you don't have no problem going after dead celebrities before they're even put in the ground, then you shouldn't have a problem going after Carlos or anybody else. This was a different part of his career. He was not, that's not the Ari that, that did that. This is a different guy who's still a young comic coming up, and Joe went out there. I can hear all the motherfuckers right now at their keyboards like, you are making excuses for no, this shit. No, I just don't understand why Joe has to be the one to... Because de- to he started it. Yep, 10 years earlier. Every 10 years, he has to come in and, and list out the guys that stole jokes or well, women. Ne- don't do it ever. Don't do it ever. I don't think that he thought that that was going to make him the police of comedy. He came out and he did it because his friend has a problem with Carlos and everybody at the store at the time was talking about it because it wasn't just... And, and let's get this straight. Carlos wasn't just taking jokes... Uh, now I'm going to get myself in trouble. Carlos wasn't just taking jokes from uh, other comics that were saying jokes and then redoing them and taking them from different uh, features in different cities that he heard. Carlos also had writers for, for The Mind of Mancia. And these guys are writing, and then he would take those jokes. that they Amy, didn't Schum- get, Amy Schumer had writers yeah. for her show yeah. that people said their jokes were taken and put in the show. I'm saying what's happening. So he's, he, Joe's in there, and this is all happening. Joe addressed it. But that doesn't make Joe the referee and the accountability police for the rest oh, of his life. F- he had, 
and and if Amy's working out in New York and this is happening with these comics out in New York and Joe's in California, why is it Joe's responsibility to police the nation? Now? Well, why was it his responsibility the first he time? He took up for the people that he felt close to that Mencia was directly uh, affecting. Hogwash. No, that's I exactly think, what it is. I think that's bullshit. Well, I, th- I, th- I, th- I think it's unfair. I think it's a contradiction. Okay. And it's hypocritical. Okay, so if you saw your buddy and he was in a fight, would you help protect your buddy? Would you help protect your friend? Depend on what the nigga did. Okay, but he didn't do anything. The other guy's fucking with him. Would you, would you, would you stand up for your friend? Yeah, but my friend don't make his livelihood off of getting fucked up no. or getting in a fight. But the point is, you, that doesn't mean that every time you see someone who's having a problem with someone else and you see that the other person, clearly it wasn't their fault, that you have to stand up for him. You're not a superhero. You're not supposed to be. It's not your job. You don't come with a cape. Okay, well then mind your motherfucking business. He went after him because it was affecting the people around him. It, t- it oh, was affecting him. Okay. So, so I, How was it affecting him? Because his friend Ari is having problems. A lot of the people who work at the store are having problems. He was a regular at the store. He's there. He's listening to all this. And so he went off. What is what is wrong? What is wrong with that? What is wrong with him going and defending these people and then saying that he needs to do that for the rest of his life? That's what he has to do for the rest of his life now because he took that up on one day. That's one day on the stage that destroyed Carlos's career. Did he know that it was going to be filmed and it was going to go out to everybody or did he just go after him that day on the stage? Did he know it was going to get filmed? I don't think that matters. Yes, it does matter. Also, oh, you think you think if if somebody yelled out in the middle of the tirade I'm recording this. I'm no, gonna put it, it was too late. Viral. It was too late. It was already out. It was already done. But my point is, he went after someone. He didn't know that that was going to happen. Did you expect that he thought he was going to have a viral video from that? Do you think Carlos that day felt that his career was going to be forever affected by being on that stage? That Probably day? not at that moment. Because no, we, neither we, of them did. No, no. Because when you have a television show and you're riding high and you're a hot comic and you're making tons of money. Your ego makes you think you're untouchable. No. So he probably thought nothing of it. Right. And I don't think that Joe thought anything of it either. He didn't think that this was going to be a part of his legacy either. Come on. You can't, you cannot put that on him. The, the question that should have been asked of Joe is, if you had it to do all over again, would you? I, and that's when man see, I. And if he would have said no, then that's a different conversation. But if he would have went, I'd do the same thing all over again. But why, why wouldn't you if you protected the people that you care about? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, do you have to care? Do you, do you know what his relationship is with the Kathleen Madigan? I have no idea. But do you know also that he felt like he was in a position to defend his friend because Carlos was on a show and Ari wasn't, and so he, he stuck up for his friend who, who wasn't in a position to say anything about it? And maybe this had happened several times because this was talked about going on for years, and he finally defended his friend. I don't understand why defending your friend makes you I'm not saying the protector of all comedy. Listen, you want to defend your friend? Have at it. But if you're going to defend your friend, then be the defender of it all the time. Well, did you see him come back out again after Carlos on anything? Did you see him come out and defend by that on time, another by, show? By that time, he was banned, and he had suffered some damage. Okay, so and he wasn't going to do it again. It, it, he did it. He defended it. He didn't go and try to make a viral video for it. He doesn't ever talk about it for, uh, as part of his career. He doesn't go out and say, yeah, you remember the time when I took Carlos down? He did people it on, he did people it on. bring it up to him. Okay. I don't understand why. He, I, I cannot comprehend why you or anyone else thinks that it's his responsibility to take it. To, to I, I don't, I don't think it was his responsibility to ever bring attention to it. It, it wasn't. And he probably, I don't know what he would say now. But 
I don't know why it would be his responsibility to talk about other comics that have stole jokes, especially ones from a whole from across the country. He doesn't have any relationship with what's going on on the East Coast. If he's a West with his West Coast comic, I don't think it has anything to do with any coast. If you're def- if if his thing is, I, I don't, and I don't think it was just defending his friend. He was defending the righteousness and the purity of comedy. He said there are comics who work hard and put in blood, sweat, and tears to develop these bits. But he knew those comics. He was working with them daily, and he felt that he had... So he was just standing up for comics he knew. For comics Not the art form and, 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 the, and the point itself. Of course he was standing up for the art form, but he was defending the comics he knew that he felt that Carlos was basically taking fucking food money out of their pocket. Got you. You don't think so? <laughs> okay. You know, listen, if, you, if you're a comic, you know, you could look at it the way some people would look at it and go, well, just write another bit. You know, how could you ever have food taken out, <clears throat> taken out of your mouth? Just come up with more bits. Like, that's easy to do. And if you've come up with a great bit that, you know, you do in a special and it's a, it's a, it's a defining moment bit, like Chris Rock's, I love black people. I hate niggas. A lot of people say that bit changed everything for him. That one bit. So if somebody now if somebody now does that bit that now you can't do or people think you stole it, now that's food out of your mouth, potentially, out of your kids' mouths. Yeah. So come on. Come on. But it's that important. But there's other people who should be standing up for our people if that is the situation. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. I, I, I just don't understand why he has to be the guy. He should have never been the guy. But, okay, so who made him so the if guy? You're going, so if so you, who made him I'm the guy? I'm just saying, if he should have never been the guy. But if you're going to be that guy, be that guy for everybody. He didn't do it to get and, it, and what I really have a pro- And what I really have a problem with, okay, let's just go with what you're saying. Okay, he was the guy for that moment, for his friend. But then we're talking about the point is thievery. So one is thievery and the other is parallel thinking. There is parallel thinking where people have the same thoughts. You don't think so? I did the same joke for two months, and then I heard Bill Burr do the joke. Do you think that I think Bill Burr got that from me? I think there are certain similarities that happen based on what the topic is. But we know the difference between, oh, they kind of hit the same topic a little bit versus verbatim. Verbatim is a different issue. Verbatim. That's not parallel thinking. Okay. That's not parallel thinking. That's right. But there are also jokes that are parallel thinking. You, don't, you, you would agree with that, though. Where they have, Their or, topics are parallel thinking. There's a lot of comics out there right now in, this, in today that I, I see do jokes, and they're all in the same vein. They could say that they were in the room, and they came up with the ideas. Of this. It's the same premise. It's, you, 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 you're dancing cute. No, I'm really you're not. Dancing cute. I, I, I understand there's a difference between parallel uh, thinking and stealing. But Dave Chappelle on Kill it, uh, For What It's Worth on Showtime. I don't like a woman to tell me when to come. I like her to tell me where to come. Amy Schumer on The Leather Special. I don't like a guy to tell me when to come. I like him to tell me where to come. Parallel thinking? No. Okay, then. So what are we talking about? I, I, you're talking about that Joe should fly in on his super cape and, and say something no, about it. No, we already covered that. I'm talking about now thievery versus parallel thinking. Oh, no. You're telling me that's parallel thinking? No, I don't, I don't think any of that was parallel thinking. Okay. Do you, you didn't ask me if I thought someone should call her out. You asked me if I thought Joe should call her out. 
I don't think it's his responsibility. Okay. But someone who would who should be defending comics that she if she if she's still taking jokes, which I don't think she is. I think she's happy being mom right now. When she comes back, maybe she'll do it again, and then someone will call her out. I don't know. But I don't. I, I know that you're, you. You for some reason think Joe has a uniform, and he's the one who's supposed to do it. I'm just saying he never should have done it. He didn't do it for that reason. He it did don't it. Don't matter. He, he should have no, done it. He did it on a stage where you think only the people in that room are going to hear it. You know, you're not supposed to be filming inside the com- uh, the comedy store, right? Okay. I want to move on to this last thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, but okay. Uh, they ended with Brian Holtzman. Uh, and, you know, they were saying that, uh, and this is something I want to start doing because this is really the, the true test and the measure of trying to get better, along with being willing to bomb. You got to stop going for the prime time hours. And, you know, at the Laugh Factory, like, they got three spots. They got the 8 show, the 10 show, and the midnight show. That 8 show is kind of when everything starts, which is still a sweet spot. But the 10 show, 10 p.m., that's the meat and potatoes. That's the, it's showtime, glitz and glamour. The house is packed. You might get laid show. The midnight show is when you got whoever's left from the 10 o'clock, but they're tired, they're drunk, they're straggling out. And then you got the people who come to the 12 o'clock show who want to see comedy, but it's 12 o'clock. There's a different energy. And sometimes you perform in front of 12 people. Um, I want to make it a goal to start doing those shows. No, those just shows you're free to do what you need to do. Exactly. Um, and when they brought up Brian Holtzman, I mean, this is a dude who lives on walking a room. Dude, I think he's genius. I, 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 I think his bravery is genius. And some of what he says is funny as fuck. Um, and I don't know if it's an act or a character, but he purposely comes off like just angry. Yeah. And yelling at you. I, I, I think it's... I, I think there's a lot of genius behind it. I don't think that you can... You, I don't think that's a normal... He's not working on a normal level. That's not a, that's not a normal comedian's level right there. That's, that's a genius level where you're seeing something completely different. And I don't right. honestly mean that everybody gets it and it's the ultimate funny. I mean, you're working on a level where you're finding this entertaining and you're taking it to the next... Whatever that next level is. Right. He, he, it, it's scary to watch someone who is so confident and who could care less. But again, I always wonder, do you really not care? Like I, I you know, and, and listen, I wrote this specifically this way where I was like, uh, uh, I do think there is a comedic sensibility and respect you get from comics watching comics because of your bravery and your fearlessness. But I also think that comics like him aren't being honest when they say they don't care about being accepted by the mainstream. And I could be wrong, but I'm just saying, and making it on a major level. I mean, to me, I'm thinking, why the fuck would you do this just to be respected but held at a mediocre standard in terms of success? I'm not saying your material is mediocre or you as a performer is mediocre, but there are levels to this. And unless you're trying to be at the ultimate level, then why are you doing this? Respect the mediocrity, don't pay the bills. Yeah, but if this is art, what you just said, I look at it and I go, I think everybody cares whether they're appreciated of their artwork, if it's accepted, whatever that about the audience. But you care more about your art form than you do about the audience. I think everybody cares. To say, to say that you don't care about those people is disingenuous because I think we, there has to be a part in your, as a human where you go, I can't believe they don't like this because your art is that important to you. 
right. that you but your that your art is more important to the, than to you than the people who don't get it. And I would go back to painting, and I would say that there's been art artists, especially um, before art is uh, taken over by money, when art was art, uh, painters painted for themselves, and they painted uh, especially like when expression expressionism happened. They painted, and they didn't care if the general art community thought that they were great. They were painting for their greatness. And then those people were recognized, usually after they died. Right. But their art form, when you said, you know, for prosperity, for that, they didn't do it for that reason. They did it because they wanted to be the best artist they could be. They were putting the best piece on canvas. And then after they passed, people went, you know what, that, we fucked up. That was genius. Right. So I think that that's where those people live. And that's why I said I think he's a genius, because he lives past... What we see is as funny comedy. You know, it'd be really great if certain people in positions of power, producers, directors, studio heads, network heads, were comedians. Because, you know, to be able to look at somebody and go, because Hollywood's excuse is always, we don't know what to do with them. And there's always something to do with what's funny and with what, and with what works. If, if a motherfucker is truly funny, and obviously he's funny, so what he's doing is working, you mean to tell me, and, and, and how many times have we seen things where, they, where we go, damn, they remade that movie? They, they, it seems like they're not doing, Hollywood's not doing anything original. We're seeing the same shit over and over. So for a business that sometimes is starving for ideas, you can't figure out, this motherfucker here is crazy, or he says this, or he's like that. Let's figure out how to do something with that. So we give the public something new. As dangerous as that may be, something new. Well, I think, I think that will happen because everything is getting new. Right now, everything is redone. We, we're not living the same way we lived. It's funny, when, you, we, when we watch movies that are 10 years old, I mean, the phones look different, the TVs look different, everything's different. We've advanced a lot in the but last... But a lot of the comedy looks the same. Hopefully that changes. You hopefully, know, hopefully it does. But who was the guy that was the uh, the head of HBO that was the original doorman at the Improv? What was that guy's name? Only two I know. No, oh, original doorman at the Improv. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He was a bartender doorman at the Improv. He was running the Improvs for uh, in New York uh, for Bud when he was there. Then he came out to L.A. and he was head of HBO. Yeah, Chris something. Yeah, I think it is Chris. Yeah, something. you know what? How he got how he got fired, right? He had he got canceled. Yeah, but you know why? Why? Because he physically beat up his girlfriend. Well, that's, yeah. The, the, and the, for sure? Yes. Well, he's, I think he's at Stars. Oh, well, he beat up bitches at Stars. <laughs> uh, but, 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 but he knew what to do with comics. That's, right. what, that's why they brought him over. And he, that's why HBO had that great comedy string for a long time. He was part of that. Yeah. And he was part of it. The, they need people that look at talent a different way. They, and listen, I'm not advocating, you know, abusing women. But clearly, this dude had a fire in him uh, that 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 only a woman can put out. <laughs> he had a fire, had a fire in him that all I'm saying is there's something to be done with fire. Like, do you what do you think about Nick DiPaolo? I I, I think Nick DiPaolo is extremely funny, very angry, right. and if he was more approachable, he'd probably be way more famous. Patrice once said. Nick, or everything you said, Nick is funny as fuck, but he'll never make it because he uh, says goo gobbler. 
you know, <laughs> you'll never make it because you say goo gobbler. There was there was an episode uh, that on I think on the Louis on Louis show mm-hmm. uh, where they're playing cards and he keeps mixing it. Yeah, and uh, and a comic. I, I don't know who it is. I only remember the scene where he keeps saying "fag" over yeah. and over in it. And there's a gay dude on the show. Uh, he's a gay dude in the. I think he's a real. He's a really a comic. I, I don't remember the episode that well, but it just goes over and over uh, about it, and, and they discussed it and how that was offensive or not offensive. On, on and that was right. a Louis episode. It was. It was. It was but good. see, that's what I'm saying. Louis. Louis made that happen for Nick. Because comics know, other entertainers know, w- w- when Hollywood won't give you that shot because they think you're dangerous or because they're worried about certain shit, comics look past that bullshit and go, motherfucker's hilarious. Sometimes. You, you, sometimes, yeah, I'll give you that. But put them in the right thing. Let them shine. This motherfucker's good. Yeah. So, give, com- give more comics more shows. And as we... 180 this to a perfect close. That's why the thing about the podcast. These are the more shows. We do things. You have creative control. You have say. Nobody can tell you what to do, what not to do. And you can feast. Yeah, but we're at a point now. Just before we... I don't want, I don't want to let it make... Be, I don't want to end on a happy note. We're at a point, though, where you want to sponsor. And as podcasts get more and more sponsors, they're going to come turn into TV networks. They're going to you can't say this, you can't, can't say, say that. that. And right now, I know of, I know of a podcast that's sitting there, and uh, someone got in trouble, and they don't want them back on the pod. The, the sponsors don't want the podcast. You don't say no. They don't want the podcast back. Uh, they us? don't want that. No. Oh. But okay, us for instance, though. Let's take us. Yeah. You don't think we we should have a major sponsor by now? Yes, we should. But I also think that we haven't been around long enough yet. It's not that we haven't been around long, long enough. I think we've been around enough, but I don't think we've promoted. We've done we, – we've kept this – I mean, if you guys are listening to us right now, we have kept this kind of like the uh, first year of Seinfeld. It was three episodes. <laughs> and uh, if, you got, if you caught it and you liked it, you were on to something that I think is – I don't know. I don't think we're original in the fact that we're doing something different. I think we're original in the fact that we're being honest. And I never had a career, so I have nothing to lose. And Aries is always willing to put his career in jeopardy <laughs> to say what he wants to say. So you get an honest podcast. But that's it. <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah, that's it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so as always, um, gonna end by playing a uh, up and coming artist on uh, the end of this episode, giving somebody a chance to shine. Um, this right here is from my man. Oh, and I'm proud to play this brother. Uh, he was a character in Utah. Uh, what was it? P Funk. Oh. He sent you something? He sent me some music. Did he he P Funk. Did he give you his Oh, that is his Instagram too though. Yes, uh P Funk is his is is his P Funk there was a number, P Funk. Uh was P, it a number? Yeah, yeah. P Funk two or P Funk three or it, four. It'll or be something. easy for me to find because all I gotta do is type in P Funk. Yeah, type it in because I know that he had because we I talked yeah, to him. Matter of fact, it might come up real quick because I just put it in here. Uh P Funk. And he spells it with P U F U N K. Do you spell like George Clinton? Is that how he spells it? There, there it is. Uh, wait, no, oh, shit. Damn. You know you kind of making it when motherfuckers got... Uh, is that really him? Yeah. Okay, yeah. 
<clears throat> P-Funk. That's his grill, right? Is, is that the dude with the grill? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So uh, this is my, from my man, P-Funk. His Instagram handle is P, and he's out of Utah, a nigga who raps out of Utah. You got to listen to this. Dude, he, I, he was very noticeable at the show. He's yeah. the first person I saw. And I even told him after the show, I go, I don't, you didn't feel me when I first came out. Right. I go, but at the end, I got you. He goes, you funny as fuck. Yeah, and when he got up and he got long dreads, I was like, yeah, what? <laughs> okay. And a thousand shiny sparkle shits all around his neck and in his mouth. P-Funk, P-F-U-N-K-K underscore, the last disciple. T-H-E-L-A-S-T-D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, number 74. That's P-Funk underscore The Last Disciple 74. Uh, this track I'm fitting to play right here is called Till the World Blows. So give my man P-Funk a listen. If you like him, let him know you like his shit. Uh, and there we go. Big shout out to Hits 101. Oh, wait. Are you, you had shout out to one, Hits 101? Yeah. Okay. And also check out all of our social media that we have going on with this. Check out our uh, Instagram page, which is uh, uh, Spearsburg uh, Pod. And check out our uh, Twitter. We have a Twitter. Yep. Uh, and we also have the YouTube page that I told you about earlier on this that you could go check out this uh, uncut video of this. What's the Twitter called? Uh, I think the Twitter is still uh, Spears. St- st- Spears, but, no, Spears Pod. SpearsburgPod.com. That's the not, not dot com. Yes. No, Spearsburg Pod. Spearsburg Pod. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. S P E A R S B E R G P O D. Yeah. And where you could see the Arnold Schwarzenegger cartoon. Uh the uh, uh the the what, what was it called? The 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 something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I'm fucking getting old. Man. And our Facebook page, man, you can check us out there. You can sp- and you can find us, find out anything. We we we're, po- we're just starting to post more shit on there, so please check it out. Um, we appreciate that. And now, without further ado, P Funk, baby, till the world blows. See y'all next week, same time, same bad channel. We out here. In these streets, I can never be 7 4 14 until I die. I'm fucking with my nigga keys now, it's double G's from the soda to the shy to the lake. You see, you best believe you see that six is blessed upon my chest. The nation's on my back, I carry my folks to the death. Niggas ever fall until the bones like your niggas wanna get up on the game. Nigga hey. know show P Funks on Lake Rose Park is the motherfucking side hey. that I claim. If you niggas chain, not me, nigga bang, 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 bang with the six to your block. Hey. Nigga know for sure who came through hot. Hey. Nigga know about P, I can't stop. Hey. And fuck the odds, nigga, that's cops. That's the way that it's gonna go. Hey. Seven, four, fourteen is GD Nation till it blows, ho. Hey,
Manu Fille à la Babel.